Tales of Romance. I'm Mardell, reading The Blue Castle by L.M. Montgomery. Chapter 38 Valency walked quickly through the back streets and through Lover's Lane. She did not want to meet anyone she knew. She didn't want to meet even people she didn't know. She hated to be seen. Her mind was so confused, so torn, so messy. She felt that her appearance must be the same. She drew a sobbing breath of relief as she left the village behind and found herself on the up-back road. There was little fear of meeting anyone she knew here. The cars that fled by her with raucous shrieks were filled with strangers. One of them was packed with young people who whirled past her singing uproariously, My wife has the fever, oh then, my wife has the fever, oh then, my wife has the fever, oh, I hope it won't leave her, for I want to be single again. Valency flinched, as if one of them had leaned from the car and cut her across the face with a whip. She had made a covenant with death, and death had cheated her. Now life stood mocking her. She had trapped Barney, trapped him into marrying her, and divorce was so hard to get in Ontario, so expensive, and Barney was poor. With life, fear had come back into her heart. Sickening fear, fear of what Barney would think, would say, fear of the future that must be lived without him, fear of her insulted, repudiated clan. She had had one draft from a divine cup, and now it was dashed from her lips. With no kind, friendly death to rescue her, she must go on living and longing for it. Everything was spoiled, smirched, defaced. Even that year in the blue castle, even her unashamed love for Barney. It had been beautiful because death waited. Now it was only sordid because death was gone. How could anyone bear an unbearable thing? She must go back and tell him. Make him believe she had not meant to trick him. She must make him believe that. She must say goodbye to her blue castle and return to the brick house on Elm Street. Back to everything she had thought left behind forever. The old bondage. The old fears. But that did not matter. All that mattered now was that Barney must somehow be made to believe she had not consciously tricked him. When Valency reached the pines by the lake, she was brought out of her days of pain by a startling sight. There, parked by the side of old, battered, ragged Lady Jane, was another car. A wonderful car. A purple car, not a dark royal purple, but a blatant screaming purple. It shone like a mirror, and its interior plainly indicated the car cast of Ver de Ver. In the driver's seat sat a haughty chauffeur in livery. 
and in the tonneau sat a man who opened the door and bounced out nimbly as Valancy came down the path to the landing-place. He stood under the pines waiting for her, and Valancy took in every detail of him. A stout, short, pudgy man, with a broad, rubicund, good-humored face, a clean-shaven face, though an unparalyzed little imp at the back of Valancy's paralyzed mind suggested the thought. Such a face should have a fringe of white whisker round it. Old-fashioned steel-rimmed spectacles on prominent blue eyes, a pursy mouth, a little round knobby nose. Now where? Where, 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 groped Valancy, had she seen that face before? Why, it seemed as familiar to her as her own. The stranger wore a green hat and a light fawn overcoat over a suit of a loud check pattern. His tie was a brilliant green of lighter shade. On the plump hand, he outstretched intercept Valancy. An enormous diamond winked at her, but he had a pleasant fatherly smile, and in his hearty, unmodulated voice was a ring of something that attracted her. "'Can you tell me, miss, if that house yonder belongs to a Mr. Redfern, and if so, how I can get to it?' Redfern! A vision of bottles seemed to dance before Valancy's eyes. Long bottles of bitters, round bottles of hair tonic, square bottles of liniment, short corpulent little bottles of purple pills, and all of them bearing that very prosperous beaming moon face and steel-rimmed spectacles on the label. Dr. Redfern! No, said Valancy faintly, no, that house belongs to Mr. Snaith. Dr. Redfern nodded. Yes, I understand. Bernie's been calling himself Snaith. Well, it's his middle name, was his poor mother's. Bernard Snaith Redfern, that's him. And now, miss, can you tell me how to get over to that island? Nobody seems to be home there. I've done some waving and yelling. Henry there wouldn't yell. He's a one-job man, but old Doc Redfern can yell with the best of them yet. And ain't above doing it. Raised nothing but a couple of crows. Guess Bernie's out for the day. He was away when I left this morning, said Valancy. I suppose he hasn't come home yet. She spoke flatly and tonelessly. This last shock had temporarily bereft her of whatever little power of reasoning had been left her by Dr. Trent's revelation. In the back of her mind... The aforesaid little imp was jeeringly repeating a silly old proverb. It never rains, but it pours. But she was not trying to think. What was the use? Dr. Redfern was gazing at her in perplexity. When you left this morning, do you live over there? He waved his diamond at the blue castle. Of course, said Valancy stupidly. I'm his wife. Dr. Redfern took out a yellow silk handkerchief, removed his hat, and mopped his brow. He was very bald, and Valancy's imp whispered, Why be bald? Why lose your manly beauty? Try Redfern's hair vigor. It keeps you young. Excuse me, said Dr. Redfern. This is a bit of a shock. 
Shocks seem to be in the air this morning. The imp said this out loud before Valancy could prevent it. I didn't know Bernie was married. I didn't think he would have got married without telling his old dad. Were Dr. Redfern's eyes misty? Amid her own dull ache of misery and fear and dread, Valancy felt a pang of pity for him. Don't blame him, she said hurriedly. It was it wasn't his fault. It was all my doing. You didn't ask him to marry you, I suppose, twinkled Dr. Redfern. Oh, he might have let me know. I'd have got acquainted with my daughter-in-law before this if he had. But I'm glad to meet you now, my dear. Very glad. You look like a sensible young woman. I used to sort of fear Barney'd pick out some pretty bit of fluff just because she was good-looking. Oh, they were all after him, of course. Wanted his money, huh? Didn't like the pills and the bitters, but like the dollars, eh? Wanted to dip their pretty little fingers in old Doc's millions, eh? Millions, said Valancy faintly. She wished she could sit down somewhere. She wished she could have a chance to think. She wished she and the Blue Castle could sink to the bottom of Mistowus and vanish from human sight forevermore. Millions, said Dr. Redfern complacently. And Benny chucks em for that? Again he shook the diamond contemptuously at the Blue Castle. Oh, wouldn't you think he'd have more sense? And all on account of a white bit of a girl. Must have got over that feeling anyhow, since he's married. You must persuade him. Come back to civilization. All this nonsense wasting his life like this. Ain't you going to take me over to your house, my dear? I suppose you've some way of getting there. Of course, said Valancy stupidly. She led the way down to the little cove, where the disappearing propeller boat was snuggled. Does your your man want to come too? Oh, Henry, not he. Look at him sitting there disapproving. Disapproves of the whole expedition. The trail up from the road nearly gave him a conniption. Well, it was a devilish road to put a car on. Uh, whose old bus is that up there? Barney's. Good Lord, does Bernie Redfern ride in a thing like that? It looks like the great-great-grandmother of all the Fords. It isn't a Ford. It's a Gray Slauson, said Valancy spiritedly. For some occult reason, Dr. Redfern's good-humored ridicule of dear old Lady Jane stung her to life. A life that was all pain, but still life better than the horrible half-dead and half-aliveness of the past few minutes or years. She waved Dr. Redfern curtly into the boat and took him over to the blue castle. The key was still in the old pine, the house still silent and deserted. Valancy took the doctor through the living room to the western veranda. She must at least be out where there was air. It was still sunny but in the southwest a great thundercloud, with white crests and gorgeous purple shadow, was slowly rising over Mistowis. The doctor dropped with a gasp 
on a rustic chair and mopped his brow again. War, eh? Lord, what a view. Wonder if it would soften Henry if he could see it. Have you had dinner? asked Valancy. Yes, my dear, had it before we left Port Lawrence. Didn't know what sort of wild hermit's hollow we were coming to, you see. Hadn't any idea I was going to find a nice little daughter-in-law here all ready to toss me up a meal. Cats, eh? Puss, puss, puss. See that? Cats love me. Bernie was always fond of cats. It's about the only thing he took from me. He's his poor mother's boy. Valancy had been thinking idly that Barney must resemble his mother. She had remained standing by the steps, but Dr. Redfern waved her to the swing seat. Sit down, dear. Never stand when you can sit. I want to get a good look at Barney's wife. Well, well, I like your face. I know beauty. You don't mind me saying that. You've sense enough to know it, I reckon. Well, sit down. Valancy sat down. To be obliged to sit, when mental agony urges us to stride up and down, is the refinement of torture. Every nerve in her being was crying out to be alone, to be hidden. But she had to sit and listen to Dr. Redfern, who didn't mind talking at all. Well, when do you think Bernie'll be back? I don't know. Not before night, probably. Where did he go? I don't know that either, likely to the woods up back. So he doesn't tell you his comings and goings either. Bernie was always a secretive young devil, never understood him, just like his poor mother. But I thought a lot of him. It hurt me when he disappeared as he did. Eleven years ago, I haven't seen my boy for eleven years. Eleven years? Balancy was surprised. It's only six since he came here. Oh, he was in the Klondike before that, all over the world. He used to drop me a line now and then. Never give any clue to where he was, but just a line to say he was all right. Suppose he's told you all about it. No. I know nothing of his past life, said Valancy with sudden eagerness. She wanted to know. She must know now. Oh, it hadn't mattered before. Now she must know all. And she could never hear it from Barney. She might never even see him again. If she did, it would not be to talk of his past. What happened? Why did he leave his home? Tell me, tell me. Well, it ain't much of a story, just a young fool gone mad because of a quarrel with his girl. Only, Bernie was a stubborn fool, always stubborn. You never could make that boy do anything he didn't want to do from the day he was born, yet he was always a quiet, gentle little chap, too, good as gold. His poor mother died when he was only two years old. Now I'd just begun to make money with my hair vigor. I dreamed the formula for it, you see. Some dreamed that. The cash rolled in. Bernie had everything he wanted. I sent him to the best schools. Private schools. I meant to make a gentleman out of him. Never had any chance myself. Meant he should have every chance. He went through McGill. 
got honors and all that. I wanted him to go in for law. He hankered after journalism and stuff like that. Wanted me to buy a paper for him or back him in publishing what he called a real worthwhile, honest-to-goodness Canadian magazine. Uh, I suppose I'd have done it. I always did what he wanted me to do. Wasn't he all I had to live for? I wanted him to be happy. And he never was happy. Can you believe it? Not that he said so. But I'd always the feeling that he wasn't happy. Everything he wanted, all the money he could spend, his own bank account, travel, seeing the world. But he wasn't happy. Not till he fell in love with Ethel Traverse. Then he was happy. For a little while. The cloud had reached the sun, and a great, chill, purple shadow came swiftly over Mistuous. It touched the blue castle, rolled over it. Valancy shivered. Yes, she said with painful eagerness, though every word was cutting her to the heart. Oh, what was she like? Prettiest girl in Montreal, said Dr. Redfern. Ah, oh, she was a looker all right, eh? Gold hair, shiny as silk, great big soft black eyes, skin like milk and roses. Don't wonder Bernie fell for her. And brains as well. She wasn't a bit of fluff. B.A. from McGill. A thoroughbred, too. One of the best families. But a bit lean in the purse, eh? Bernie was mad about her. Happiest young fool you ever saw. Then, the bust-up. What happened? Valancy had taken off her hat and was absently thrusting a pin in and out of it. Good luck was purring beside her. Banjo was regarding Dr. Redfern with a suspicion. Nip and Tuck were lazily calling in the pines. Mr. Wiss was beckoning. Everything was the same. Nothing was the same. It was a hundred years since yesterday. Yesterday, at this time, she and Barney had been eating a belated dinner here with laughter. Laughter. Valency felt that she had done with laughter forever, and with tears, for that matter. She had no further use for either of them. Oh, blessed if I know, my dear. Some fool quarrel, I suppose. Bernie just lit out, disappeared. He wrote me from the Yukon, said his engagement was broken and he wasn't coming back. And not to try to hunt him up because he was never coming back. Well, I didn't. What was the use? I knew Bernie. I went on piling up money because there wasn't anything else to do. But I was mighty lonely. All I lived for was them little notes now and then from Bernie. Glondike, England, South Africa, China, everywhere. I thought maybe he'd come back some day to his lonesome old dad. Then, six years ago, even the letters stopped. I didn't hear a word of her from him till last Christmas. Did he write? No, but... He drew a check for $15,000 on his bank account. The bank manager is a friend of mine, one of my biggest shareholders. 
He'd always promised me he'd let me know if Bernie drew any checks. Bernie had 50000 there, and he'd never touched a cent of it till last Christmas. The check was made out to Ainsley's Toronto. Ainsley's? Valancy heard herself saying Ainsley's. She had a box on her dressing table with the Ainsley trademark. Yes, big jewelry house there. After I thought it over a while, I got brisk. I wanted to locate Bernie. Had a special reason for it. This time he gave up his fool hoboing and come to his senses. Drawing that fifteen told me there was something in the wind. The manager communicated with the Ainsleys, his wife was an Ainsley, and found out that Bernard Redfern had bought a pearl necklace there. His address was given as Box 444, Port Lawrence, Muskoka, Ontario. Now, first, I thought I'd write. And then I thought I'd wait till the open season for cars and I'd come down myself. I ain't no hand at writing. I've motored from Montreal, got to Port Lawrence yesterday, inquired at the post office, told me they knew nothing of any Bernard Snaith Redfern, but there was a Barney Snaith, had a P.O. box there, lived on an island out here, they said. So, here I am. And where's Barney? Valancy was fingering her necklace. She was wearing $15,000 around her neck. And she had worried, lest Barney had paid $15 for it and couldn't afford it. Suddenly, she laughed in Dr. Redfern's face. Excuse me. It's so amusing, said poor Valancy. Isn't it? said Dr. Redfern, seeing a joke, but not exactly hers. Now, you seem like a sensible young woman, and I dare say you've lots of influence over Bernie. Oh, can't you get him to come back to civilization and live like other people? I've a house up there, big as a castle, furnished like a palace. I want company in it. Bernie's wife, Bernie's children. Did Ethel Traverse ever marry? queried Valancy irrelevantly. Oh, bless you, yes, two years after Bernie levanted, but she's a widow now. Pretty as ever. To be frank, that was my special reason for wanting to find Bernie. I thought they'd make it up, maybe. But, of course, that's all off now. Doesn't matter. Bernie's choice of a wife is good enough for me. It's my boy I want. I think he'll soon be back? I don't know. But I don't think he'll come before night. Quite late, perhaps. And perhaps not till tomorrow. But I can put you up comfortably. He'll certainly be back tomorrow. Dr. Redfern shook his head. Too damp. I'll take no chances with rheumatism. Why suffer that ceaseless anguish? Why not try Redfern's liniment? Quoted the imp in the back of Valancy's mind. I must get back to Port Lawrence before rain starts. Henry goes quite mad when he gets mud on the car, but I'll come back tomorrow. Meanwhile, you talk Bernie into reason. He shook her hand, patted her kindly on the shoulder. He looked as if he would have kissed her with a little encouragement, but Valancy did not give it. 
Not that she would have minded. He was rather dreadful and loud and, and dreadful. But there was something about him she liked. She thought dully that she might have liked being his daughter-in-law if he had not been a millionaire a score of times over, and Barney was his son and heir. She took him over in the motorboat and watched the lordly purple car roll away through the woods with Henry at the wheel, looking things not lawful to be uttered. Then she went back to the blue castle. What she had to do must be done quickly. Barney might return at any moment, and it was certainly going to rain. She was thankful she no longer felt very bad. When you are bludgeoned on the head repeatedly, you naturally and mercifully become more or less insensible and stupid. She stood briefly like a faded flower bitten by frost by the hearth, looking down on the white ashes of the last fire that had blazed in the blue castle. At any rate, she thought wearily, Barney isn't poor. He will be able to afford a divorce quite nicely. Please join me next time for another romantic chapter of The Blue Castle by L. M. Montgomery, here on Love's Tender Flame. Until then, love deeply and live beautifully.